Amen. Oh. Exodus 29. What we are discovering as our, we study the book of Exodus is the extent, the time, the effort that God went to and the goal was always, I want to be close to my people. I want to have a relationship with my people. I want my people to go deeper and have a deeper and more meaningful relationship with me. And so you, you think about that. You think about all that we've learned up to this point. How God went through all the details of the construction of the tabernacle and the furnishings and the furniture and how last week we saw all that God talked about as far as the clothing of the priests and all the detail of that. And it's all in preparation for meeting him. All of it, preparation. And tonight, the same thing. We're going to look at 10 steps to God tonight. All preparatory steps, all steps of consecration before we even get to engage, enjoy, and experience God. There was all of this preparation involved because he's a holy God. And you and I can't just get there. We've got to be prepared to engage with God. We have to prepare ourselves to engage with God. Now, obviously, it looks a little bit different in the New Testament with us than it did in the Old Testament, but the principle is still the same. In fact, I will say this. To encourage you, I have learned in my walk with God that I get more out of my worship, I get more out of my prayer time, I get more out of my study in his word when I also spend much time preparing for that. Some of us say, well, I don't have time to prepare. When you and I take the time and make the time to prepare ourselves, we actually get more out of it. Try it. See if it doesn't ring true in your life. And that's what God was trying to get his people to learn about worshiping him in the Old Testament and why he was taking them through all of these steps of preparation before they could engage with him because it was all necessary because they were sinful just like us and he is a holy God. And because even you and I realize if we think about it, Intimacy isn't something that you can rush or rush into. Intimacy with anyone or anything takes time, effort, energy. You, you and I don't come to a deeper understanding and knowledge of something overnight. It might take days, weeks, months, years before we get there. And God is saying, look, I, I want my people to get this. So let me even use this application. The more you and I prepare to meet with God in God's house on Sunday and Wednesday by preparing ourselves the rest of the week, the more we'll get out of Sundays and Wednesdays. And the more we prepare ourselves, again, in, in 
even getting to that place where we're praying and we're worshiping and we're studying and reading his word, the more you will get out of it. So this is a long chapter. There's a lot in here, 46 verses. But the way I want to look at this chapter is I, I sort of divided it up into three sections. And I want to begin in the first three verses. And I want to look at these steps, first looking at the offerings, and then looking at the other steps involved, and then finally the consummation of it all. Why does God's people go through all of this, you see? So notice in these preparations for service, Moses writes in Exodus 29.1, now this is what you are to do for them, and of course God is speaking to Moses to share this with the people, to consecrate them, to set them apart, to dedicate them so that they may minister as my priests, so that they may fulfill their calling as my priests. It's something that Nicole and I strive to do is make sure that we are prepared, that our hearts, our minds are prepared personally with God before we ever get up and lead worship or teach his word. It's what all of us should do before we minister and serve and do anything. We should consecrate ourselves. We should prepare ourselves. We should make sure that our hearts are in the right place and that, that our attitude is right and that we are aligned with God before we go out there and do anything for the Lord. And that's what God is teaching his people. Even my priests cannot minister to me in the tabernacle before they are consecrated. And they've got to go through this consecration ceremony, if you will. Part of that ceremony is the sin offering. Take a young bull and two rams without blemish. The bull was the sin offering. The rams are the burnt offering. We'll talk more about that. And then bread, symbolizing fellowship with God, made without yeast. Verse 3, you are to put them in one basket and to present them, bring them near to the altar of God in the basket along with the bull and the two rams. Consecration, dedication, Preparation cannot happen apart from fellowship with God. It is as we fellowship with God and as we move closer that we are set further and further apart and we are consecrated and we are dedicated and we are purified more and more and more. And that's what God was trying to teach his people. In a sense, in the first three verses, you have the first part of the ceremony, the bull and the ram offerings, and you have the last part of the ceremony that we're going to talk about tonight, the fellowship meal with the bread that's here. So in a sense, Moses just saying, here's the beginning of the ceremony, here's the end of the ceremony. Now, let's get to the first offering. And you'll notice that it is called in the Net Bible at the end of verse 14, the purification offering. In other places, and other translations, it may be called the sin offering. What is that offering and what is its significance? Well, start following with me in verse 10. You are to present the bull at the front of the tent of meeting. And Aaron and his sons are to put their hands on the head of the bull. 
Why? Because that is a symbolic picture of the transfer of their sins, even as the priest, to the substitute. The bull is the substitute for their sin. The bull will die in their place. The bull will take the sin from them and it will be sacrificed. Again, beautiful picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our substitute, that he became the propitiation for our sins, the sacrifice that satisfied the wrath of a holy God that God was pleased with, and therefore we were covered by his sacrifice. An atonement was made. That's what God is picturing here for his people. Verse 11, the death of the substitute. You are to kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance to the tent meeting. Take some of the blood of the bull, put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. All the rest of the blood you are to pour out at the base of the altar. You're to take all the fat. Now, by the way, fat in the Bible, different than the way we think of fat. We think of fat, especially when it comes to meat, as like the yucky part. In the Bible, the word fat means choicest, best part of the animal. You are to take the choicest and best that covers the entrails and the lobe that is above the liver and the two kidneys and the fat is on them and burn them. Sacrifice consumed on the altar. But then the meat or the flesh that represents the wasteful parts, the skin and its dung, you are to burn outside the camp. It is the purification offering. Now think about it. This is the first step. And yet they could have no chance of engaging with God or meeting with God or fellowshipping with God first because sacrifice has to be made because he's holy. And we, we can't meet with God or engage with God in any way unless sacrifice is made and blood is spilled and a substitute is given, you see. By the way, I want you to look at that phrase outside the camp. Keep your finger there and go over to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. This is very significant, and we don't have time to get into all this tonight. But in Hebrews chapter 13, beginning at verse 10, or excuse me, verse 11, let's pick it up there. For the bodies of those animals whose blood the high priest brings into the sanctuary as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, to sanctify the people by his own blood, Jesus also suffered outside the camp. He was crucified outside the city gate of Jerusalem in a place that was called Golgotha. It was a cursed place. It was a place for those that were rejected. They, in the eyes of people, were criminals. They deserved what they were getting. In a sense, they were thrown away by society. Think about that. Jesus was thrown away. Verse 12. Therefore, to sanctify the people by his own blood, Jesus also suffered outside the camp. So then the author of Hebrews encourages or exhorts us, we must go out to him outside the camp, bearing the abuse he experienced. We need to be willing 
to not worry so much about our reputation and not care about the rejection and all of that that we will face as followers of Jesus Christ in a world that has rejected him. Because that's exactly what he did. Because he was thrown away and crucified outside the camp. Just like the parts of the bull in the book of Exodus. Back to Exodus. Look at verse 18. The next offering was the burnt offering. What is the burnt offering? Well, it was the offering that was totally consumed. It symbolized the giving of one's all, total dedication, all in, nothing held back. And so notice verse 15, you are to take one ram and Aaron and his sons, lay their hands on the ram's head. Again, signifying their identification with the ram as their substitutionary sacrifice. And you are to kill the ram, take its blood, splash it all around on the altar. Then you are to cut the ram into pieces, wash the entrails on its legs, and put them on the pieces and on its head, and burn the whole ram on the altar, everything, that will become a soothing aroma. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. Two offerings, the sin or purification offering and the burnt offering. Notice there's another one, verse 24. The wave offering. You were to take all these parts and put them in Aaron's and his son's hands and you were to wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. You are to take them from their hands and burn them on the altar for a burnt offering for a soothing aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. And by the way, when they would wave these, they would wave them toward the altar and back showing that the offering was given to God and then received back from God. In a sense, it is a beautiful picture of the give and take of even our worship and our offerings, that we give to God, but then God gives right back to us. The benefits and blessings of what we are offering to God comes back to us, and it's pictured there in the wave offering before the altar. One more offering, the end of verse 28 the peace offering, or literally the heave offering, which means to lift up. And it's the idea of celebrating being at peace with God. And anytime we as God's people, you know, realize that he's a holy God, but he's making a way for us to have peace with God. And then by having peace with God, we can experience the peace of God. We celebrate that through peace offering. And by the way, the peace offering was the only offering in which it, it was eaten. You could eat the peace offering. The rest were consumed. And these are just the offerings, four offerings. And this is all what? This is all part of consecrating and preparing the people of God to interact and meet with God. It was a reminder to them. We just can't enjoy this intimacy without going through these steps. It's important. And you can't bypass the steps. I mean, God's already said, you can't just, anybody can't just waltz into the Holy of Holies, you'll die. And as you come in, there's a progression. You gotta start in the outer courtyard, come into the inner courtyard, go through the holy place, and then finally into the most holy place. 
Again, that's what we attempt to do here in some way, is take all of us through that progression of getting closer and closer to the Lord through our worship and our time in the Word. Well, enough about the offerings. We've got to get to this other stuff. Notice verse 4. Another step is to present Aaron and his sons at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The word present means to be at God's disposal. It's sort of what Paul talks about in Romans 12 when he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. That we all, in a sense, every morning that we wake up, present ourselves to God and say, reporting for duty, Lord. I'm here at your disposal. Whatever you want from me today, whatever you have for me today, I am here to present myself. That is part of the consecration. Then notice the next is a washing. You are to wash them with water. The priests would literally strip naked and would be washed from head to toe. It was symbolic of a, a cleansing and a purification. Again, because even as God's priests, they were sinful. And everything that was made that they were you know, using in the tabernacle, it was made by sinful hands. In fact, that's why even the altar and everything had to be covered with blood because we're going to see later on, it was God who sanctified it and set it apart. It wasn't man because you and I can't sanctify or set apart or make anything holy, but God can. And so they were washed. You think of the New Testament equivalent. We've been washed with water by the word of God. We've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been cleansed. We've been purified. And then why does Jesus wash the disciples' feet? And Peter gets all upset. Well, Jesus, if you're going to wash me, wash all of me. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Because you have now a relationship with me, you don't need to be washed all over. In other words, you don't need to be saved a second and third and fourth time. You just need to have your feet washed. You just need to be cleansed in that way. That's why the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't need to be, we don't need to be saved over every time we sin. We just need to confess and restore that fellowship that we have with God through a relationship with him through his son Jesus. Washing. Then notice presentation, washing, and then comes clothing. Verse 5, and take the garments and clothe Aaron with the tunic and the robe and the breast piece and all of this. But you cannot be dressed until you're cleansed. Again, steps to this consecration, steps to this preparation. The next step, verse 7, anointing. You are to take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him, setting him and the other priests apart for God's purpose. Go over then to verse 21. Another step is to mark now, in the Net Bible, 
the word I'm looking at is sprinkle, and I'll get to that, but follow along with me as I begin reading verse 21. You are to take some of the blood, then, that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it. But the word in the Hebrew literally means to mark it, to mark Aaron, to mark his garments, his sons, his son's garments, so that he may be holy. And by the way, notice also they are to dip in verse 20 this blood and put it on the ear and on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of the right foot. It was the idea that all of them was to be dedicated. All of them was to be dedicated to the service and ministry of the Lord. All of their faculties, all of their power, the ear to be able to hear the Lord, the hands to be able to serve him, the feet to be able to walk where he wants us to walk. Again, all symbolic, but it was the idea that they needed to be marked by blood and literally splattered with the blood from the sacrifices off the altar. But then we get to the consummation of it all. Look at verse 31. You are to take the ram of the consecration and cook its meat in a holy place. Aaron and his sons are then to eat the meat of the ram and the bread that we talked about in verse 3 that was in the basket at the entrance of the tent of meeting. It was very important that after they went through all the offerings and all these steps of presentation and of washing and of clothing and of anointing and of marking, that they ended it with a communion meal because that's what it was all about. It was, it was celebrating this, this bond, this, this connection that they could have with God as they moved closer to him. And notice also central to the meal is that the food had to be consecrated at the altar. It had to be set apart. In fact, we even read in verse 36 that the altar itself had to be consecrated and purged. You are to purge the altar by making atonement for it. Everything in the tabernacle had to be consecrated and set apart because God's holy. And everything that we are and everything that we touch and everything that we get a hold of, it's tainted by sin. And so with that, I want you to go over in closing tonight to verse 42 as we end this chapter. And I want us to see several really important things here. First of all, notice that fellowship with God required continual sacrifice. This will be regular burnt offerings throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. Can you imagine how many thousands upon thousands of sacrifices the Israelites had to give but yet every one of them was a reminder our God is holy and we are sinful and yet God is making a way through these sacrifices acting as our substitute to be able to interact and meet this amazing God and engage with him Otherwise, we have no chance. We have no ability on our own to be. That's why, can I tell you, that's why religion 
and, and works-based salvation is, is so abhorrent to God? Because God has done everything as a holy God to be able to make a way for us as sinful human beings to come to him. And yet man in his pride and his seeking to be independent rather than dependent seeks to make his own way to God and says, God, here, here I am. I made my way. God goes, no, you haven't. In fact, your righteousness is like filthy rags to me. I'm appalled that somehow you think as a human being that somehow you can, you can attain to where I am. Only I can provide the way. And then you just have to accept it. And notice again, all of this was done so that he could meet with his people. He says, this will be regular burnt offerings throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you. And then notice also at the end of verse 42, very important, to speak to you there. What's God want to do? He wants to meet with his people. That's why the tabernacle is also called the tent of meeting. And what's he want to do when he meets with his people? He wants to speak to us. I want us to keep that in mind even today. When God brings us together, what's one major thing he wants to do? He wants to speak to all of us. And he will speak to us exactly where each of us is. With, with exactly what each of us needs to hear. He will take a message, even like this, and somehow craft something that he can say specifically into each life and each heart. That's the way God works. It's certainly not something that I can accomplish and do. I have no power or ability to be able to do that. But God, through his spirit, can. And he wants to speak to us when he meets with us. Amen. Then, verse 43... There I will meet with the Israelites and it will be set apart as holy, don't miss this, by my glory. You see, it is the weight of the Lord's presence that sanctifies the tabernacle, that makes it a sacred space, that sets apart the priests, that sets apart the furniture, that sets apart the furnishings. It is not man that sets anything apart and makes it holy and consecrates it. It is the glory of God that does it. And the same thing is true today. You and I do not have the power or the capability to make anything in this building or this property holy. We have no ability to be able to consecrate or set apart anything, but God does. And when God's presence comes to this property, God sets it all apart. God consecrates it all. God makes the chairs holy. God makes the microphones and the instruments holy because they're being used to worship him. God makes everything in this building holy and consecrates it because by his glory, his presence is here and he sets it apart. And again, what's the purpose of God doing all this? So that back then and even now, 
his people can enjoy a deeper and more meaningful relationship with him. That's why. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 44. So I will set apart as holy the tent of meeting and the altar, and I will set apart as holy Aaron and his sons that they may minister as priests to me. And then don't miss this. I will reside among the Israelites, and I will be their God. And they will know, and by the way, that word know is a knowledge of intimacy by experience, an experiential knowledge that is gained from firsthand experience that they will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out from the land of Egypt so that I may reside among them. I am the Lord their God. The whole reason for God delivering them out of Egypt was so he could meet with them and reside with them and live amongst them and engage with them. And the same thing is true today. Let us not miss the incredible picture of God descending to dwell in a tent as an expression of his love for his people. Think about that. The God who is greater than the universe he created, the God who is bigger than the universe he created, was willing to come down and dwell in a tent so that his people could experience him. Now hold that thought for just a minute. Think about the humility and condescension of Jesus Christ. As we talked about Sunday, the Lord of glory, the King of kings, the eternal Son of God, who was willing because of his love for us so that he could dwell among us and have a close, intimate relationship with us, left the glories of heaven, left the adoration and praise and worship that he was given, and rightfully so, every second of every day. He left all that and came to earth as a baby and came to earth as a human being You want to talk about humility and condescension in order to relate to us and identify with us. Folks, you and I, there's no parallel to that. The best that I've ever come up with, and it it is in no way even comes close, would be like us looking at an ant crawling on the ground and going, I love you, Mr. Ant. And I want to share the fact that I love you, and I want to share my love with you. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going I'm to leave this human body for 33 years, and I'm going to become an ant and dwell with you ants down there on that ground. What Jesus did is far beyond that. He's the Lord of glory, and as God, he came and wrapped himself in human flesh. Again, you think about the extent and the steps that God went to in order to meet and reside with his people. And then one more. Think about each of us who knows the Lord. 
the Bible tells us that we are now the tabernacle or temple of who? The Holy Spirit of God. That God now, in his humility and condescension, has chosen not just to dwell in a tent, not just to dwell in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, but has chosen to dwell inside of us. My goodness. We've got the Lord of glory, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, equal to God the Son, equal to God the Father, living inside of us. That's amazing. Why? Because he never wants to be apart from us. Because every second of every day we are alive on this earth as human beings, we have the chance to interact and be as close to God as we want to be because literally he's not apart from us, he's a part of us. I hope that we can begin to see even through the picture of the tabernacle more about who our God is more about how much he loves us and yet he never lowers who he is in order to engage with us he will always remain holy and yet in his holiness and in his wisdom he figured out a way to be able to commune and fellowship and live amongst and live in and live with sinful human beings. Not because he had to, but because he wants to. He loves us that much. So the next time you and I maybe get a little discouraged and, and maybe we think like, Somehow God's taken his eye off of us and, and he's not listening to us and he doesn't care, he doesn't love us. You not only have to go to the cross to be reminded of that, you and I can look within us and go, you know what? God has chosen to live inside of me. How amazing is that? Obviously, he knows everything about me and knows everything that I'm going through and everything that I'm feeling because he's a part of me. I can't separate myself from the Holy Spirit who lives within me. He's with me always and for all time. And that's who our God is. Going from living in a tent or tabernacle in the Old Testament to expressing himself in the form of Jesus Christ on earth and then going even a step further than that and saying, oh, I want to live inside of you. All because he wants to have a deeper, more meaningful relationship with each of us. May we be willing to consecrate ourselves in order to Go deeper with God. Father, we thank you tonight for reminding us, God, of the privilege and honor we have to carry your presence with us every day. A presence, Lord, that was only experienced and engaged and enjoyed from a distance in the Old Testament is something, Lord, that 
we can't even really express in a proper way now. To think that the God of the universe lives inside of our bodies. <laughs> wow. You are amazing, God. And I pray that, Lord, we would want more of you as much as you want more of us. That as we sang tonight, Lord, just give me Jesus. I just want more. I don't need anyone else. I don't... I don't need anything else. God, I just want more of Jesus. May that be our heart's desire, Lord, as we walk with you every day. Take us all home safely tonight and begin to build that expectation and anticipation, Lord, to again come back to this tent of meeting on Sunday to not only engage with you again, but to engage with our brothers and sisters again, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for being here. We'll see you next week.